Hello friends, good morning. Well, it's morning for me, early morning in fact, but welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You join us midway through season five. We're over two and a half years into our 10 year journey working through the entire Bible. And we're getting towards the back end of Exodus chapter 29. You're most very welcome whether you're here for the very first time or you've been along right from the beginning. Can I just ask that if you are here for the first time, why not just hit on that subscribe button wherever it is you get your podcasts from? And that way you need never miss another single episode. That way you can make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. So anyway, you're most very welcome. Do hang on at the end if you'd like to know ways in which you can connect with this ministry and also have access to lots of other free Bible study and teaching resources. So thanks again for joining me and I'll see you at the end. Bye-bye for now. Okay, folks, today we're looking at Exodus chapter 29, the whole chapter, in fact, and the title I've given for this talk is Consecration and Daily Offerings. Now, I don't know if you're aware of the fact that God actually has something to say about your right earlobe, the thumb on your right hand, and the big toe on your right foot. There's actually a passage in Scripture in which God expresses an interest in those things. Now I should tell you that this passage we're looking at today is written to a particular group of people at a particular point in time. A special group, but it still I believe has something to say to us and to tell us today. So the question is, why of all things does God here today, as we'll see, speak about the earlobe, the thumb and the big toe? What did he mean by that? Well the passage we're looking at today actually pertains to the ordination of the Old Testament priesthood. Now it's a rather lengthy passage describing the ceremony in some detail. In fact there are even more details going to be given later in Leviticus chapter 18 but this is the initial description of that event, this ordination ceremony if you like, that's given to us in the chapter 29 of Exodus. Now, someone has said that the fact that God specifies this ceremony in such detail and the fact that Moses recorded it at such length points to its importance for Israel and thereby it must have some instructional value for us. So apparently the Lord thought that what was going on here and what he was instructing was important. So there must be something that we can learn from it even today. But before diving into the text, I just want to remind us that in the previous chapter, we had the clothes described for us in great detail, the clothes of the high priest in particular. Remember, we went through all of that yesterday, and now here we arrive at this new chapter today, and immediately it talks about the ordination of priests. It almost seems to me as if it's trying to say you can have the right clothes, but the clothes themselves will not be enough. You've got to prepare in another way and that I believe what this passage is about it's about preparing for service now this is a long chapter and I'm going to read it all but we're going to race right through it examining as it is our pattern verse by verse but it's helpful to know that I think this passage quite nicely divides into three parts 
the first part is the preparation for the ceremony that's going to take place, and that's verses 1 through 9. And then we are given the actual procedure of the ceremony in some detail from verses 10 to 28. And then finally, there are some provisions and setting apart for this priestly line described in verses 29 through 37. So let's begin with the preparation, which, as I said, begins for us in verse 9. And let me start by reading to you the first nine verses of Exodus chapter 29. And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. You shall make them with wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put the tunic on Aaron and the robe of the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And then you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual state. So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons in this way. So the idea here is that they're going to have a ceremony, one where they actually ordain, consecrate, are the words being used here, the setting aside for this work of these people defined as priest. Hallowing, that's just what it means. It means setting them aside, setting someone aside for a particular type of service. And this is the ceremony that God wants them to go through before they begin to do that. So they are to bring wafers made from flour and anointing oil, along with one young bull and two rams. And then Aaron and his sons are brought to the door of the tabernacle, and they're washed with water. Now some have called this step one of the ceremony, and they say there are four steps. Step one is just them bringing them to the door of the tabernacle and washing them. Now clearly in the Bible, washing is a symbolic gesture of cleansing. We see it throughout both Old and New Testament. And many have pointed out, I think, accurately, that you're clean when you trust Christ. You are thereby cleansed of all your sin. But as you walk, and as you live your life, and as you walk your daily day, and live your daily life, you get dirty again. And particularly in that time when you think about people's feet. In those days, people had sandals, and they walked on the dirt of the ground, not on pavements. So they were constantly getting dirty and in need of daily cleansing. Now the next couple of verses tell us that they're going to clothe these high priests with the clothing that was mentioned in some detail in the previous chapter. So they take these garments and they put the tunic on Aaron, the robe and the ephod on the breastplate and then they put a turban on his head and put a holy crown on the turban. So very simply the second step in the ordination process of a priest was the putting on of the garments those garments described in the previous chapter. And that takes us to verse 7. And the third step is the anointing of the high priest with oil. 
And then the fourth and final step in the preparation has to do with the priests themselves. Now Aaron here, he is the high priest and his sons are being set aside as priests under him. So in preparation for their ordination, they were bringing them all these people, both levels, the high priests and the priestly line. They're bringing them to the door of the tabernacle. They're dressing the high priest Aaron. They're pouring oil on his head and anointing him. And then they dress. They put on the tunics on the, his sons as the ordinary priests. And one more verse in preparation was the final verse in which we read. Verse 9 which says Aaron and his son have hats put on them. And then it says it reminds us that this priesthood shall be theirs as a perpetual state for Aaron and his sons. So back in verse 1 it began with saying you are to hallow them for ministry, set them apart. And now verse 9 says this is them consecrated, this is them set apart, set apart for this ministry. And notice that it adds perpetually. So this is a statute God ordained Aaron and his sons as the first order of priests. And now after that the only way to become a priest is to be born into this priestly line. So this means that this family are going to be set aside, set apart as the family line, which will become actually a tribe of priests. But it's all starting here with Aaron and his sons. Keep that in mind because we'll come back to that later. So as I mentioned, uh, this chapter falls into three parts. The first part has been this preparation. That was these first nine verses. The second part I'm going to call the procedure. It's the ceremony itself. That is described for us here from verse 10 all the way down through verse 28. Now this will involve a series of offerings, one immediately after the other. They're going to mention a sin offering, a burnt offering, a ram offering, a wave offering and a heave offering. There are five offerings in verse 10 through 28 and this is going to be the core of the actual ceremony itself. So we're going to walk through these very quickly. It's a rather lengthy passage, but there's some rather straightforward points that we need to grasp as we go through the details. So I'll just read the verses and then comment on them briefly. Verse 10. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of the meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Now the act of laying on of hands is one of identification. Laying their hands on the bull means they're identifying with the bull and remember this bull is going to die in their place. Verse 11 and 12 says, Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. Now if you remember back when we looked at the tabernacle construction, we talked about the altar and I pointed out that there were horns on each of the four corners. Well, in this case it's telling us that you're going to sacrifice this bull outside the tabernacle and then you're going to take the blood and put some of it on these four horns of the altar and the rest you pour at the base of the altar. So this is what is described as the blood sacrifice, the first of the five. Next, verses 13 and 14 tell us, And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that's on them, and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull, with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with the fire outside the camp, 
this is a sin offering. So this bull sacrifice was a sin offering for Aaron and his sons, not for the general population, because it is in this way the priests acknowledge their own sinfulness and their need also for blood cleansing. So this sacrifice takes place for them. This is their sin sacrifice. Now remember today the New Testament says that we too are cleansed of our sin by a blood sacrifice. And in our case, it was the sacrifice of Christ himself. As a matter of fact, John chapter 1 verse 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Anyway, so this is the sin offering, a blood sacrifice. They are initially identifying with the animal by the laying on of hands, meaning they are symbolically placing their sins on that animal, and then the animal dies as their substitute. And that's the first thing involved in this ceremony, is the making of a sacrifice for sin. The next offering, beginning in verse 15, is going to be the burnt offering. And it tells us this, 15 through 18. You shall take one ram, and Aaron and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take the blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, and wash its entrail and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head, and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, and it is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Okay, so this is the second offering, the burnt offering. And again, they were to take one of the two lambs and have Aaron and his sons place their hands on its head. Again, a symbol of identification. Now, verse 14, the first offering was described as a sin offering. But now in verse 15 to 18, we're being told about something that's described as a burnt offering. So these are two different offerings. And in this case, the ram was to be burned wholly on the altar within the tabernacle area, burned as a token of the priest's dedication of himself to the Lord and his service, the total dedication of that duty. So the first offering was the sin offering, and it was to be presented, and part of it would take place outside the tabernacle, and then we now have the burnt offering. Through this now, we see that the guilt is removed completely. The point to make is no acceptable priestly service could be performed before these things were done. So what's going on here is the first offering was for sin. The second offering is for the dedication and to the service of the Lord for these particular people in their role in the service of the priesthood. And now the third offering is called the Ram Offering. So this time they take the other ram and Aaron and his sons, they put their hands on the head of the ram again. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and the tip of the right ear of his sons and on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. So now this is the second offering, the ram offering. Remember, I promised you at the beginning, an earlobe, a thumb, and a big toe. And here it is in verse 20. So what in the world's going on here? The blood on the tips of the right ear and the right earlobe of Aaron and his sons, and on the thumb and on the big toe, these are all done to symbolize something. And then the rest of the blood is sprinkled around the altar. So the question is, what is this meant to symbolize? 
Now, anytime you come to a situation like this and you start reading it and you start reading what the Bible teachers and the commentaries say, well, if you read two commentaries, you'll probably find there are three opinions. So let me tell you what the main opinions are. Some would say that this is all about cleansing and that's the point of the blood. One quote I read said about this, this signifies the need for cleansing from sin in every area of human life. The ear for obedience to God's word, the hands for action or service, and the feet for our walk of life or our deportment, our general dominion life. So this school of thought says that it represents cleansing. The second view is that it is for consecration. The view says that it is for the, the complete consecration, pardon the pun, but the consecration from head to toe, as you might say, and that's why these disparate body parts are used. One author I read talking about this said, putting the blood of the sacrifice on the tip of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot was doubtless intended to signify that we should dedicate all our facilities and powers to the service of God. Their ear to the hearing and studying of the law, in this case, their hands to the diligent secret ministry and all the acts and ordinances that they would carry out as priests, and their feet to walk in the way of God's precepts. So that author says it's all about complete and utter consecration. There is a third view, and you'll never guess what it is, but it's my view, and that it is that both these are true. The blood signifies that they are cleansed and dedicated to God, and again the various body parts indicate things like the hearing of God's word, hands doing the work of God, and feet walking in the service of God. And I would say all this is applied and explained for us in the New Testament with scriptures like uh, Romans chapter 6 where we're told to present our whole bodies, the members of our bodies, as instruments of righteousness. Of course, it doesn't spell it out as an earlobe, thumb and big toe in that case, but that, I believe, is what is symbolically being represented here in the Old Testament. To use Paul's words in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, he says, Use your ear to hear what God has said, use your hands to do his work, and then giving your feet over to be obedient to do what he says to do. That's my paraphrase, by the way, which, of course, means applying all of this in your everyday lifestyle. Anyway, back into Exodus, and it brings us to verse 21, and it says, You shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, and some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and the garments of his sons with him, and he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Again, the point is that they should be hallowed, set apart, and this is complete consecration. So that's the ram offering. We then now have this next thing called the wave offering. And it says, Also you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, and one wafer from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. And you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his son, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. So another ram, this ram, remember, was named as a ram of consecration, 
and this one is a little bit mysterious for me, I must confess. As a matter of fact, one commentator said, and I quote, this is one of the most obscure rites in the book of Exodus, and it is the use of this ram of consecration and the subsequent wave offering. Now, I have to be frank with you and say much of this passage remains mysterious to me. You can seek out and find all sorts of fascinating theories, but I personally don't want to go down the route of spiritualizing it too much without the New Testament precedent to do so. But I think what we can get out of it is certainly a sense that the priests are carefully preparing for the worship of the Holy God, the one God, the Holy God Most High, with this sacrifice. The whole point of this passage, remember, is the ordaining, the setting apart and installing the priests. We are installing these men into the priesthood. The other offerings prior to this talked about forgiveness, cleansing, dedication to service. This, many believe, is the actual ordination, the consecration itself. This is the offering by which many think we begin, we install, we initiate the priesthood. In other words, to use the common phrase we still use today, the ordination of the priesthood. At any rate, what actually happens in terms of ritual is the breast of an animal is waved back and forth towards and away from the altar as a sort of symbol of presenting the offering to the Lord. And that's the wave offering. Okay, verses 25 to 28 then say, You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised up, of that of which is for Aaron and that of which is for his sons. It shall be from the children of Israel for Aaron and his sons by statute for ever. For it is a heave offering, and it shall be a heave offering from the children of Israel, from the sacrifices of their peace offerings, that is, the heave offering to the Lord. Now up to this point, Moses has been officiating as a priest. He's been a mediator between man and God. But this function will now belong to the priesthood established here and not Moses anymore. So we've had the sin offering, the burnt offering, the ram offering, the wave offering and the heave offering where the people raise up the final part of the meat as a sort of symbolic representation of them coming under the authority of this priesthood. Or a better way of saying it is allowing them to be interceded for on their behalf by this priesthood. Then finally, verses 29 to 34 tells us, And the holy garments of Aaron and his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. The son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. And you shall take the ram of consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. 
And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or the bed remains until the morning, you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. So there we go. That's how they installed the priesthood and their sons. They're consecrated and anointed with them to be appointed after them. But we need to remember that all of this, all of this ritual, all this way of doing this and atoning for sins, this whole system ended at the cross. But we'll talk about that later and in more detail as we work through these coming chapters. Anyway, the conclusion of all these instructions is now given in verses 35 to 37, where it says, Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded to you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. And you shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy, and whatever touches the altar must be holy also. So the priests, that's now Aaron and his sons, are to be consecrated for seven days, set apart. A bull is to be offered every day as a sin offering to cleanse the altar and anoint it for sanctification. The altar was to be regarded as a holy thing, a holy place now, and anything that touched it in any way would be considered holy as well. Okay, that's the text. So to summarize all of this detail, this is the ordination ceremony of the priest involving sacrificial offerings and then finished off with a sort of sacred seven-day meal. They were prepared by wearing the proper garments, followed by the presentation of five sacrificial offerings, and then they finally participate in consuming part of the sacrificial offering, eating it. Now, comparing this ancient ordination to that thing we see called an ordination of pastors and ministers today, it's evident that these processes are now vastly different. Perhaps the laying on of hands is the only one common aspect that remains, but yet that still remains and it still symbolizes the identification and the impartation of the power of the Holy Spirit of God to anoint these people for this particular ministry. Both here in the Old Testament practices, but also in terms of the setting apart of ministers and pastors according to our modern practices. Now let me just make an important point at this juncture. God here ordained Aaron and his sons as the first priests, and thereafter the priesthood could only be inherited through their lineage. However, we need to state that that Old Testament priesthood no longer exists today. However, there is still a priesthood in the present day of sorts, and the priesthood in the present day is that which every Christian believer belongs to and forms part of. As 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 states, Believers, we Christian believers, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, and God's own special people. This means that when you are born again, you become a child of God, part of the family of God, and you also become a priest of God. So let me share a few additional observations of what it means for us to be a priest in this day and age. As a priest, you should now use your redeemed ears to listen to the Lord's voice through his word. 
You should use your redeemed hands to serve the Lord and worship the Lord. And finally, that you should walk by the Holy Spirit and let him guide your redeemed feet, so to speak, in his service. So again, we're back to the ears, the thumbs and the toes. You see, believers, we today are called to hear the word of God, to walk in truth by relying on his Holy Spirit and to serve the Lord with love by serving other people. Our service, however, and this is the big important point, is no longer done as an attempt to cleanse us from sin, but rather Christian service is an expression of gratitude for being cleansed by the blood of Christ, by his once and for all sacrifice. This passage we read today began with the burnt offering and progressed to the consecration of an ear, a thumb and a toe. Now in the New Testament, all of this intricate ritual can be summarized and acted out in a much more straightforward way. For us, in response to God's grace, we as believers simply should present our whole body, our whole lives, ears, thumbs, toes, and all those things that they represent as living sacrifices. As Romans chapter 12 verse 1 states, I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God that you present your whole bodies as living sacrifices. God has shown us great mercy, and as a result, we too should indeed offer sacrifices in return. But our sacrifices involve us setting apart ourselves to him, including our ears, our thumbs and our tongues and our toes and everything else, by offering them in service of him. And by that way, his name will indeed be hallowed, and his kingdom might indeed come, and his will done, and that we might see his glory on earth as it is in heaven. That's it for today. Okay, there we go. We powered through that, didn't we? Difficult passage, but I think there's some fruitful uh, lessons to draw out of it. I hope you find it helpful. Can I remind you that my name's Jeremy McCandless and you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. This podcast is hosted on thebibleproject.buzzsprout.com and that's the place where you'll not only find a transcript of each and everything I've said, which you're free to use in whatever way you want, but also some episode notes and some links to other places where I put other uh, resources and things I make available. Places like the social networks, my LinkedIn page and the uh, YouTube channel. And a place called Patreon where you can, if you wish, partner with this ministry and thereby enable it. That's the way in which this podcast has been able to remain free, subscription-free, and available on all the main platforms. So with that said, Patreon's the way this enables this to remain free and to be put out in all those places for free so that many, many more people can be brought within the orbit of the gospel to consider if they want to make the decision to say, you know what, I'm going to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of my daily life. So thanks again for joining, friends, and I do hope I'll see you back here tomorrow. So it's bye from me. 
from the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye now.